Let us pray. Well, God, our Heavenly Father, as we begin a new year together, we make a covenant with you that we will live it in a way that glorifies your name. Amen. Wow, a new year. I mean, it's like 2017, right? Gee. And you're here. That's doubly neat. <laughs> I remember when uh, Claudia and I, my wife and I, first found out that she was pregnant with our firstborn. And I remember, wow, we're going to have a baby. Wow, we're going to have a baby. And that was followed almost immediately by all those thoughts that, that dads have. Am I going to be a good dad? I mean, am I going to be able to provide for my child and any ones that may follow him or her? And, and after that initial rush of both excitement and dread, I moved into imagining all the things I was going to do with this child, all the experiences and, and, and things we were going to have together as they grew. And, and fairly soon in the process... I got to thinking, it's going to be helpful if this child has a name. <laughs> and so what followed, of course, was a quest that is known to virtually every parent, and that's naming our child. What are we going to name our child? And we poured over the baby books. You know, there's about 300 baby books on the shelf that will all tell you how to name your child. They don't know how to name your child. They're just giving you ideas. But we looked through every one of those baby books about what could we name our child. We, we looked at our family trees, previous generations. Is there a name in there that would work? We thought about biblical figures that kind of fit the pattern here in the Hesse family. So we did that for every child that Claudia brought into the world because intuitively, like all parents, we knew that names matter. You want to name your child something that, that fits, that works. We live in an era that's moved way beyond the staid names of past generations. Uh, there are still lots of Bills and Toms and Marys and Sarahs around, but more and more folks are moving into what we might call creative literature. I, when Claudia was in the hospital, I think it was with our secondborn, there was a lady beside her in, in the little room following delivery. And uh, she looked over at Claudia and said, uh, hey, how do you spell amigo? <laughs> and Claudia said, you mean like, like friend, amigo, A-M-I-G? She said, no, 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 no. Like the alpha and the amigo. <laughs> and Claudia said, nope. No, it's, it's omega. She said, yeah, Omega, because this is the last. <laughs> and, of course, there are those like ex-heavyweight boxer George Foreman who've exhibited a little less creativity, if you're familiar with that. He, uh, he had five boys and seven girls, and the first boy he had, he named him George Foreman, Jr., and then he had an, another son, and he named him George Foreman III. And then, of course, there was George 
Foreman the fourth, and George Foreman the fifth, and George Foreman the sixth. Can you imagine what happens when he says, George, it's dinner time? <laughs> but the truth is, basically today, with all the naming that's going on and it's fun, there are relatively few people that, that name a child specifically for what that name means. But that was not the case back in biblical times. In biblical times, it, it was a really, really important thing that you name your child something that means something, that meant something. Almost all Jewish names were chosen for their meaning. Uh, perhaps the commemoration, I'm going to say that again, the commemoration of an event that was close to the time of birth. Uh, think Moses, which meant to draw out, like of the bulrushes kind of thing. Or the apparent personality of the infant. Andrew meant manly. Or how the mother happened to be feeling at the time of birth. Samuel meant asked for. Could be a, a family name passed down from generation to generation that they pulled from. Or it could be a declaration of the parents' faith. E Elijah meant Yahweh is God. Or Occasionally, God stepped in. And he gave the name himself. Think Abram became Abraham, the father of many. Or John, you remember Zechariah and his wife Elizabeth. They've been looking for a child for years and years and years. She's way past childbearing age. He's ministering in the temple, and the angel visits him and says, you're going to have a child. And I want you to name your child Johannan, John, because it means Yahweh's gift. And then, of course, the most significant name God ever gave. We know the story. We just came through it. There's a little lady named Mary. She's anticipating her marriage to, to Joseph. I suspect she was going through all the kind of emotions that bride-to-bees go through in those days. And, uh, and she was, depending on the tradition, either doing some house cleaning or she was down at the village well. And Gabriel comes and visits her. Pretty impressive right off the bat. He says, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. Now, sometime later, a very confused Joseph, because he knows he's not part of this pregnancy that Mary's had, receives a, a vision in a dream. Another angel comes. And says this, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Jesus. In Hebrew, Yeshua. It means Yahweh saves. God saves. And Mary and Joseph, of course, they were faithful. They did what? The angel asked of them. On the eighth day, when Jesus was circumcised, it was the time when the father made a public declaration and named the child. Kind of like we do in baptism, by the way. Name this child. Name this child. It's a little more difficult for the child being circumcised than 
having water poured on your head, but it was the same thing. Name this child, and Joseph shouts to the whole world, his name is Jesus, Yeshua. St. Paul would let her proclaim, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow. But Yeshua was a common name. It was used throughout Palestine about as frequently as George Foreman named his sons. It was not this glorious, royal, magnificent, separate kind of a name that inspires awe in people. It was Yeshua. Then again, the circumstances of Jesus' birth in a stable are also not what anyone would have expected of the Son of God. But when we step back and we look at it, that was the point. That was the point. Paul writes this in an earlier portion of this morning's passage to the Philippians. He says, though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. And Jesus didn't come to do triage. He didn't come to, to save the mighty, the exceptional, the powerful, the influential. He didn't come to save the movers and shakers alone. He says, later on in his ministry, I came to draw all men to myself. And he began with the marginalized. He began with those who were forgotten and set off to the side. He began with those who had no power and no prestige and no wealth. So he became one of us. 100% human. Grew up like a normal kid. He learned carpentry from his earthly father. He learned scripture from the village rabbi. And later, as he began his ministry, he would know what it was like to get hungry or to get hot or to get cold or to experience pain. He knew what it was like to get enthusiastic and filled with joy. He knew what it was like to get mad. He knew what it was like to feel lonely. And he was all too experienced with feeling sorrow. Just like you. Just like me. In short, it means that the Son of God gets it. He gets what it's like for every one of us to go through this life living in a fallen world. He gets it. He's been there. As the Old Testament prophet Isaiah declared, he is, in fact, Emmanuel, God with us. But too many people in the world have erred in coming to the conclusion that Jesus was nothing more than one of us, forgetting that he was at the same time 100% divine. 
and that God named him Yeshua. Jesus saves because he came with power to save the people from their sins. Raise your hand. He didn't do it through a political or military victory. He did it by identifying with our sins at his baptism, by carrying our sins on his shoulder straight to Calvary, where he died as a consequence of carrying our sins, where he died separated from his Father, only to be resurrected on the third day, triumph over sin and death, and then offer us the exact same victory. Think about that. Paul shouts it out to the Roman church. He says, there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing His riches on all who call on Him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But here's the deal. Accepting Jesus as my Savior doesn't mean that I'm issued a ticket to heaven so that I can now adopt the I've got mine and sit back on the sidelines and wait to collect my reward. Because it's accompanied by the Great Commission. Jesus says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the close of the age. So just as we are saved in the name of Jesus, we are also empowered through that same name. His Holy Spirit, Jesus enters us and gives us power to speak and to act in His name and with His authority. And we wouldn't be such an anemic church today if we actually believed it. We'd act instead more like Peter and John. You remember the story, it's only several weeks out of Jesus' death, resurrection, and following his ascension that Peter and John go to the temple to offer prayers. And as they go through this gate into the temple mount called the beautiful gate, there's a, a lame beggar there who jiggles his little tin hoping for an offering from people that are sort of overcome by their holiness. They're on their way in to pray. Peter stops and he looks at him. And he says, I have no silver or gold, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he reaches down and grabs this guy by the arm and yanks him to his feet. And the next thing we know, he is walking and leaping and praising God. And that issues forth in the arrest of Peter and John because he's made a commotion. The next day, the Bible tells us that Peter and John are brought before the exact same ruling cadre that had been involved in sentencing Jesus to death. So these men had power. Here's what Peter says. Let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. By the name of Jesus. This man is standing before you well. Paul called us ambassadors for Christ because when we speak and when we act, we do so 
in the name of and with the authority of Jesus Christ himself. Now you think about that. You're an ambassador for the Son of God. You speak for him. You act for him. And people watch. Throughout church history, when Christians have understood themselves in that light, God has used them to turn an upside-down world right side up again. The good news has been preached, people have been healed, and lives have been transformed because we pointed them to Jesus. For there is no other name given among men by which we must be saved. Jesus. Those who have known him and walked with him have turned to try and refer to him by his qualities, his characteristics, his distinctives. And so we've called him Lamb of God. We've called him Son of God, Redeemer, Shepherd, Root of Jesse, Son of David, the true vine, the bread of life, the light of the world, the word. The world just goes on and on and on in Scripture. Why? Because we have, in our little tiny experiences here on earth, found him to be so wonderful and so marvelous and so expansive that we just had to call him by other names. But there's more. At the end of the age, this same Jesus is going to return, not as the Lamb of God, but as the Lion of Judah. And the earth will become his footstool. And those who have followed him are going to be really excited to see his coming back. Those who have rejected him, they're going to be less enthusiastic about the whole process. But everybody, everybody is going to be caught up in Paul's promise. At the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. But then he goes farther. In the Revelation of John, Jesus promises that there are going to be new names yet to be given. He says, hold fast that what you have so that no one may seize your crown. The one who conquers, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Never shall he go out of it, and I will write on him the name of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down from my God out of heaven, and my own new name. Did you get that? When Jesus returns in power and glory, he is going to write three new names on every one of our hearts. The name of God, the name of the new Jerusalem, and Jesus' own new name. You see, with as much as we know about Jesus, he's telling us that there is yet more to experience when we get to heaven. John gives us just a glimpse of what that more might be like. He says in his vision, his eyes are like a flame of fire. And on his head there are many diadems. And he has a name written that no one but himself knows. 
There's a biblical commentary written by John MacArthur, and John puts this whole event as good as anything I've, I've heard. So I'm just going to read this part to you because it's really good. He says, we know Christ, but we only know what we have read. We haven't seen him. The moment we see him, his persona will take on utterly new dimensions. And whatever we may have called him and understood by the name will pale in the reality of what we see. And there will be a new name to describe him. And he'll give us that name. And we'll be privileged to call him by it. Yeah. Looking forward to that. But until then, I'm going to be more than content to call him by the name given by his heavenly father, Jesus. Because just like countless others, that name's changed my life. Amen.